amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to have you folks. Hey, let me just tell you straight up front, you've reached the Ninja Pastor, just like our great uh, announcer has said, as he says every week. And uh, it's because it's a recording. I know you know that. Welcome to Alaska. Great to have Alaska listening today. Uh, last Sunday, ironically, I don't know, maybe I'm using that term incorrectly, but uh, interestingly, uh, we had the most, the highest number of countries listening to our Sunday broadcast. Um, and I must have mentioned during that broadcast about speaking to the GOP women about Islam and women. And because I was bombarded, last week we received, let's pull it up here, just so I give you an accurate number. Oh, that's a lot. Sheesh. Okay, let me just say this. The folks that... I have not responded to yet. I am sorry. Uh, 29,000, right around 29,000, 28,904 emails. And I'm terrible at the emails. I, I wish like anything that I wasn't, but I, I really, I'm terrible at it. So I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to do better, but I'm not better yet. So I'm working on it, but uh, we're kind of, we're kind of doing it, doing it on our own, you know, trying to figure out how to make this thing happen and make it worth you listening to. So, uh, so anyway, so to all of you who emailed me about what did I speak to the Republican women about? First of all, that was a blast. What a great audience. They're awesome people. They're wonderful people and uh, really, really super, super fun, you know? And I said to them during the speech, and this is true. And I don't know how many of you, well, Maybe you've said this. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. Uh, awesome. Snow day from work. Seriously. Two feet and it's coming down since yesterday. Oy. I love Alaska, but boy, that's tough living. Welcome to our guests in uh, chat and uh, welcome to coach and chat. A fellow I'm doing some work with. 
thanks to uh, Alaska, actually, there's an introduction made there. Thank you very much. You're going to be seeing a lot more of that coming up. Um, he's kind of learning me the ropes about how uh, social media and all that, um, you know, all that goes. So I don't, I, I tell you guys all the time now, coach can attest to this because he's a Christian technologist. Um, I really don't know hardly anything about technology. I really don't. And, uh, and I apologize for that. I wish my, my, uh, my grown up buddy, best friend, um, Chuck back is he, man, I miss that dude. Always a brother. And, uh, he, it was so cool because he did this when nobody else really was doing it. He was in the computers and this, that, and the other thing. And I uh, went out to the Ohio state university and got his degree. And now he's a, a really seriously, a really real big shot with a global company. You'd know the company if I said it, and I know he'd probably be mad if I said it, so I'm not going to say it, but I always admired how Chuck really embraced the very early stage of technology. And, um, uh, it's just really, really cool. Really, really cool. I did. He really saw ahead. Now, let me also say today I'm very, very sick. I don't know uh, whether this is a cold or some sort of sinus and lung infection. I have no idea, but I'm barely walking. So if I run out of gas, I apologize, but I was so excited about our guest today. Now, oh, let me tell you this right up front. Uh, Andy had to get a hold of me. Andy's doing a television. Do you guys? Let me interrupt myself. Do you guys know uh, Facebook Live? Are you on Facebook? If you're on Facebook and you're already friends with me or you follow me on Facebook, if you could type in facebook.com backslash um, the ninja pastor. It's, it's that easy. Facebook.com backslash the ninja pastor. Like and follow me on there. We're trying to build that up. I'm paying huge money to to kind of convert things over and people get mad at me. Sometimes they say, Hey, I can't be your friend on Facebook. You have too many friends. And I go through, um, gosh, I don't know how many a week. I want to say I average between three and 400 a week. Maybe that's too high or too low. I don't know which. Um, and I delete people. I delete them. If they, you know, if they never, they don't really contribute anything. I look at their page and it's very painstaking. And some of them, though, I look at and I think, man, how in the world do you ever get to be, how did we ever connect? Because sometimes I see no connection. And then if there's, if it's a woman and she's got like scantily clad and, you know, she's got this, I don't know what it's called, duck face, you know, thing. And there's only dudes that, that are friends with her. And she's got like four friends. And I think to myself, how'd that happen? I click on delete that, delete and block and, uh. And then I mark it as spam. And uh, so we try to bring people on. I'm trying to be more thoughtful about that. And uh, so, but we wanted to have a better portal for you. So the Ninja Pastor, it's a professionally uh, done page. The folks at um, Web Consulting, they, uh, they're they working on helping me out. I don't know. I, as I say, I might be a lost coach. Coach may say, oh, good lands. I can't help this guy. But um, you just never know. You just never know. I, uh, old dog, new tricks, I guess. Anyway, the point of it all is, is that um, we want to have something better for you. And I, and I want to be more committed. Now, we have the website, theninjapastor.com, drshawngreener.com. We have all that. Um, 
and and it's good stuff. We're going to work on creating better content, both in what I write and I'm going to be putting videos on there. But we're also going to do with uh, Coach, we're going to do some live uh, streaming. And, and somehow or another, you use YouTube and he has this really fancy, cool thing that is really, seriously, it, it is pretty awesome. Um, it's kind of crazy. How, I don't know. He, he figured all this stuff out. And I always admire people that know how to do stuff. Um, but suffice to say, I don't know. And so I'm, you know, whatever he says, I bob my head and go, okay. So um, anyway, the point is, is if you, if you go over there, you're going to see a lot more really cool stuff. I'm dedicating myself to making that a, a better place. Same way with the website and everything will coincide that you'll, you'll see them both. So anyway, as it relates to uh, Andy, Andy Unless there's bad weather that shuts him down, he got a got an uh, opportunity to jump out of an airplane on television. So if you know Andy, Andy Stump, world record holder, wingsuit flyer, flew 18 miles from 37,000 feet, uh, Navy SEAL, all that. Uh, Andy was supposed to be on today, but he got an opportunity to do a television commercial. And guess what? Poor guy. They're going to film him doing a jump for this commercial. I know who the commercial is for, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to get in any, get anybody in any trouble. So unless the weather is bad where he is, which is what I said on my Facebook live video, then he won't be here. If the weather is bad and he can't fly and can't jump, they can't film. Well, then, then he will be on. But, uh, if he's not on today, he'll be on not next week, but in two weeks, uh, next week we have Bill Federer and we may have on, we may have on, uh, from vote biblically, dot com Allison Lurkowski. So we shall see. We shall see. Um crazy business going on. Uh I wanted to real quickly say this. Um I this is what this is what I did in 1983 and see if it rings in any way true to um to any of you out there. I Sean Michael Greener do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of my office on which I'm about to enter, so help me God. That's code number 5 USC, subsection 3331. Now, all members of Congress and all federal civil servants since 1884, they had to uh, they had to say that they had to say they had to take that. Now, in the military, I had to say, I, Shaw Michael Greener, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign or domestic. Now, I don't know if you've noticed the difference there. Uh, Congress they say foreign and domestic. We say military says foreign or domestic. You might think, well, so what? That's a minor delineation. Well, is it? I remember when I made that, I, I, I made that oath in MEPS in Baltimore, Maryland. That's where I was. It was about to become a very, very long day. Um, my first day of the Navy. I, I really loved being in the Navy. I got to tell you, I loved it. I don't think I showed the Navy my very best, but. Uh, and maybe sometimes the Navy didn't show me their very best, but the bottom line is, is it was a cool thing to be a part of. I got to serve with some really amazing, amazing people. Uh, so fortunate, just really and truly so fortunate. 
So for me, you know, I looked back on that today and I looked back on, you know, I gave my speech uh, to the, the GOP women and I wasn't sure really what to expect. My dear friend, Janice uh, Gallagher, she, I, I have to tell you, she's a cool, cool patriot. Uh, she is um, Janice Gallagher, really awesome, top-notch people. I, I've and where I be, where I met her was through Center for Self Governance. We went through I think three levels, including the last level, which is level five, together, along with some other great ladies and great people, Cliff and Joy and Kim and and Linda and and just so many. I mean, if, I'll go in naming everybody, but was so fortunate and I thought of them and I thought, you know, with what all we've been through together, what, I wonder what would I, what would I say to these people? Uh, how do I connect with them? And what they were specifically concerned about was in fact, what is Islam's impact on women? So I thought before uh, we talked to the, the great author of fault line, um, you, you guys really seriously, you don't know how much of a treat you're in for this guy's, Every major network, the Blaze. He's he's been everywhere. He's just been everywhere. He was supposed to be on last week, and uh, then he got a a, a gig, uh, I think a TV gig, and he was on a train. And look, as a guy who's trying to sell a book, you know, you got to go, you got to go where the audience leads you. And obviously, I no, I wasn't mad about it at all. I'm I was in that same book. I get it. I was in that same. No, I was in that same boat. That's how you're supposed to say. I told you, I'm sick, man. Whatever it is, I don't wish it on you because it's bad. Um, so, you know, he had to go do that. You're going to hear from him today. And uh, and I have to tell you, Billy Hallowell, tremendous writer. He and I wrote, and I said this on my Facebook Live, he and I wrote a, a fairly similar book, although I like the place from which, the voice from which he wrote his. And I'm working on my second and third book now. Uh, one is absolutely the follow-up. It's It's a complete rewrite. Uh, book number one, which is Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. So the follow-up on that uh, is going to completely rewrite the first one, bring it completely up to, uh, you know, bring you where what I said. And I used, somebody wrote a review, by the way. If you've ever bought my book, please write a review or mail a review. And if you've read it, email it to me at smgreener at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the book. And if you write a review, if you send it to me, uh, we'll put it on our website and, and wherever else. So here's the thing. I mean, um, and by the way, it's the Ninja Pastor on Facebook. It's the Ninja Pastor. So if you just do Ninja Pastor, I don't know if that'll come up, but if you do facebook.com backslash the Ninja Pastor, take it right to it. Anyway, all that said to say, um, look, well, let me go into this because he's going to be he's going to be on in just a little bit, and I, I don't want I don't want to miss any time with him. I don't want to be on hold any longer. Uh, but but let me just say, as a guy who wrote a book and is trying to sell a book, you gotta you gotta go where you have the chance to sell the most books at that time. And and he's you know cool, been cool about it. And I you know hey, he's a good guy, real good guy. Uh, so first of all, what I said to the ladies group is first of all, you need to understand that Islam is not a religion at all. Now remember, I was talking about the impact of Islam on women, but you need to understand it's and my approach here was not just. Well, I'll just tell you, Islam, I wasn't just going to talk about Islam's impact on Western women. That's immediately what we assume, right? We assume that immediately. Uh, I also talked about Islam's impact on Muslim women, 
And you say, what do we care? You're always telling me that, uh, you know, there's no place for Muslims in America and, and American government, American military, uh, law enforcement, uh, managing our infrastructure, certainly not our nuclear, nuclear, uh, none of that. I mean, it's just no place for that. Seriously, no place for that. But here's the thing. It does have an impact on Muslim women. Now, some of the Muslim women, they they abide by it. I mean, that's what they do, and, and that's how they want to live because that's how they've always lived. Um, there was a post uh, on social media today, the amount of illiteracy uh, in Islam, but also the amount of uh, inbred, how many inbreded, inbreded? It's like breaded mushrooms. I'm not sure which, uh, but there's a lot of inbreeding in, in Islam, and and it's a well-known. It's not even a secret. It's just, it's it's a well-known thing that that in Islam there's an awful lot of inbreeding, and to some degree they do that on purpose. That's just what they do. Um, it, it is how they are, and and it's their it is their culture. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of problems that come with that, of course. So some of the women. They ascribe, if you will, excuse me. They they ascribe to um, the you know the, the Sharia application to them, and I have to tell you a, a whole other bunch of it. They're just they just do it because that's what they grew up in. That's that's what they that's their culture. That's you know when I was born in American culture, I was born in the country, so I. I always like to say I was born in a farm. I have a dear friend, uh, used to be a dear friend, um, used to debate me on that. But I was born on a farm, and I and I, I didn't farm it. I played like I was a farmer. When I was a little kid, but boy, I looked at farmers like they were heroes. Well, that was my culture. You know, it's a little bit country. I was just a little little country boy, and uh, and so that was my culture. And certain things you did in the culture I grew up in, uh, that to other cultures would seem odd. Well, that's the you know, that's the way it is with Islam, any other culture. So these women go and, and they're a part of this. And to tell you the truth, it's it's a it's an oddity I don't think I'll ever understand, but but it is what it is. They'll see people well, I will understand it because of, of the how they're how they're taught and how they're raised. Um, I do understand it. I speak about it in my speeches and stuff, but the thing you need to understand is is these women, a lot of times people say, Well, why do they stay? You know, they throw acid on them, they do these clitorectomies when they're young. Um, and, and they do all these things to these Muslim women. Well, why do they do it? Why do these women stay? Well, there's no voice for them. There's nowhere for them to go. And I think it's interesting that the modern feminist in America is embracing now the hijab or the, or the niqab, the larger of the two, more like a burqa. They are, uh, and, and I don't, I have to say that I, for me personally, look, I don't care what people wear. As long as they have a little something on covering their, covering their junk up, I don't care. That's their business. People want to walk around however they do. Nowadays, you just, you don't have to know what people are going to wear. They wear half of bathing suits nowadays. Young girls do it. And it's upsetting. It's upsetting to me. I, I just don't think there's any place for that. Shouldn't do it. Don't cause yourself more problems than you need to. Well, anyway, looking at, um, looking at these women who, who live this way, I think you you have to accept the fact that for them they don't see another they don't have another choice. But this Linda Sarsour she has now become 
the feminist movements. Um, I don't want to say heroin, but she's, you know, she's out front and they're doing that. Uh, they're sending her out front because she's part of a jihad. You say, come on, doc. That can't be true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It's, it's, it's what they do. It's how they do it. It's their part of jihad. And unfortunately, uh, we're in kind of a place that, uh, we just, we have to accept what it is. Hang on one second. Let's see who we have here. You're on the collision of faith and politics with a ninja pastor. Who am I speaking with? Yep. Lost him. You're on with the ninja pastor. Collision of faith and politics. Who do I have? Sean, this is Mark. I'm just monitoring you on the phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're, you you came through on the guest line. That's all right. We'll talk to you. i tell you what let's do. This is, hey, folks, this is Coach. Uh, Coach Prezik, he is teaching me all about the internets and how social media works, specifically Twitter, which, of course, I know nothing about as he can vouch. Can you vouch that, Coach? I you was can plugging vouch in that. my headgear, so I, I kind of missed what you said because I was plugging in my headgear to avoid the echo. Uh, say it again. I got you. All, all I said was you can vouch with the audience that I literally know nothing about Twitter, probably the internet. <laughs> I have forgotten more about Twitter than you know. <laughs> you didn't have to go there coach but that's all right that just calls me to work even harder so you guys are going to be hearing from coach that's right that's right uh you guys are going to be hearing from him uh real real soon well coach lip we got our guest on i'm going to uh pick him up here Take and loose. thank you all right buddy take good care all right billy hallowell hey, how in the world are you? you i'm doing good i'm doing good how are you doing good Hey, I was just good, waxing, uh, I was waxing nostalgic uh, about, uh, I gave a speech on Islam's impact on women, and I was talking about the impact of Muslim women for audience. Hey, audience, welcome. Um, this this guy here is a real good writer. Uh, I I don't have as much time to read as I'd like. I'm, I'm an avid reader. Uh, so when I do fully read a book, I have to tell you it had better be good, and, and your book, Oh, man. Real good. Real good book. Real, real good book. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Fault line, folks. Fault line uh, is something, and, and I like your title. Uh, of course, we've been marketing it out there, and, and hopefully uh, some folks have bought the book already. It's available just about anywhere. Uh, but probably, if can they buy it off of your website? Yeah, you, and in fact, if you go to Hollowell, Hollowell Fault Line Book, Dot com or billyhollowell.com you can find you know we're on amazon and barnes and noble so those are the two places a lot of people are picking it up but uh and a lot of christian bookstores are carrying it as well so you can grab it out there it's um yeah and you know the title's funny because it's it's one of those things that i hadn't quite it took a while to kind of think of okay well what what encapsulates what's going on in culture right now right what what is a title that sort of shows us where we are and so fault line um, and, and this notion, you know, the subtitle is how a seismic shift in culture is threatening free speech and shaping the next generation. You know, that seismic shift, that fault line really seemed to kind of encapsulate where we are right now. You know, what's funny is, um, and this is how the Lord works. He works in mysterious ways and cool ways. I always like to say they're not just mysterious. A lot of times they're really, really cool. Yesterday, um, I started getting, uh, and I don't know if this is, hopefully it's, it's not going to catch you. I know when I did my book tour, you shook so many hands and signed so many books, handled money and 
all of that and you're traveling and in hotel rooms and all that, um, it's real hard not to get sick. Well, there's this thing going around. I don't know if, if you know this, but it is brutal. Comes in like a lamb. And, and I'll tell you what, about, uh, about two hours in, you just are so sick. So I'm battling that today. So I apologize if, uh, if I'm not up to snuff. But yesterday, in order to make myself feel better, I was watching uh, a bunch of these uh, natural disaster uh, shows. And I was reading your book at the same time as in the background. And, uh, and I'm reading your book. And all of a sudden, it catches my attention that they talked about the tsunami day after Christmas uh, several, several years ago. And the, the number of people that were killed in this tsunami as a result of a ocean a floor earthquake, and there was a fault line, there's a, a major fault line there that, that is, quite frankly, unresolved. Uh, it, you know, there's this wave coming at Indonesia and uh, Banda Aceh and all these other places at 500 miles per hour, and it killed over 200,000 people. In, in minutes, it killed over 200,000 people. Now, they, they're guessing at that because a lot of these poor places that hit, I mean, it hit India, it hit all, all these places. I mean, it's just terrible. This, it's amazing to me that more wasn't made of it, both at the time, and, but it's so far from America. I think people go, well, it's not here. Uh, but, you know, that could hit here you know, the, the Washington coast and Oregon and all that they say is, is a real risk of it. So I'm watching this and they're showing actual video and they're interviewing people who were uh, seriously critically wounded in, uh, in these, in, in all the things that happened. I mean, swept down the street with cars and trucks and buildings and somehow they survived. And their stories about a uh, brother and sister who were trying to hold on to each other, but they couldn't, the, the sister, uh, was never found or no, she was found. Uh, but it was, it was days and days later. And, but the 16 year old brother survived and it's this fault line, this seismic shift that caused it. And, and it seems like such a simple thing, but you say this in, in your subtitle, how a seismic shift in culture is threatening free speech and shaping the next generation. And when I read this book, I said, man, I got to talk to this guy because you and I are definitely on the same page, uh, and, and in my book, I talk about education. But, but tell us a little bit, before we get too far in the book, I want to, you know, whet their appetite for the book, but before we get too far into the book, tell me a little bit about you. Where do you come from, and, and what have you done? How did you get to this place where you're writing such an important book? Uh, well, I, you know, basically I grew up in upstate New York, which is um, in, in Rochester, New York, which is a pretty mixed place in terms of ideology. You know, I would say that more conservative than, than liberal and, you know, lots of churches and, and lots of good community uh, ties there. And so I decided to go down to college in New York City and I've stayed in that area, uh, which which has been interesting because it's, it's an area in which people generally don't, I generally don't agree with most people on matters of theology or politics and, and which, which is fine. But that sort of helped kind of shape my viewpoints, what I believe and kind of helped refine it. And so I spent the last um, five, five and a half years before uh, this past summer at theblaze.com as the faith editor there, 
uh, and then, you know, worked last year for Deseret News. And now I'm the senior editor at spacewire.com. So yeah, that's just a quick journey professionally sort of through the work that I've been privileged enough to, to do. And it has led to a place where, you know, in covering so many of those stories, I just felt like, man, I, you can kind of see, and I think Christians know this, and I think that for many conservatives in this country as well, they, they know that there is something going on. You can feel it. Things are not quite uh, where they should be culturally, and, and we know there's a rise in people who are disassociating, disaffiliating with religion and so and with faith. And so all of that combined, you know, led me to a place where I really wanted to try to look at this from a 30,000 foot level and help people make sense of it. Hmm. Yikes. Uh-oh. Seismic shift, 200,000 people dying. Now you're talking about a seismic shift in culture and culture encompasses us all. So we, so now we're talking about the, the whole, we'll just keep it to the United States, the, the whole culture of the United States. And so you've been around. And folks, this guy is only 33 years old. He's only 33 years old. 33, right? You're not 31 still. You're 33. I'm 33. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good age, 33. And so, you know, he's only 33 years old. He's done all these things. Did you hear him mention all this stuff? The places he's been and the stuff he's done and, and places we've all heard of. So here's the thing. And this, and this is what strikes me. Uh, one of your... Uh, you were talking about the movements, the next movement, the Enlightenment, then said, we don't need God. Look how great man can reason, McDowell. You were talking about McDowell and what he had figured. And from there, the Industrial Revolution kicked off, and another, yet another ideology took form, further alienating society from its need for God. The Industrial Revolution came on the scene and said, we don't need God. We don't need a personal creator God, because see how great man can create, he said. This is when all great machines of history, patents, everything exploded. Now, that was the, the entire scenario McDowell dubbed as the uh, God is dead movement. Now, you and I are probably more similar than, than we realize in uh, both incredibly good looking, of course. Um, you know, obviously that's the first. But <laughs> the second thing... This, the second, my mom, if she was listening, she'd be laughing. She goes, oh, he's got a face for radio, that boy. Um, the second thing is, God, you know, this God is dead movement. We look at that, um, and, and as, um, well, I guess I'll, I'll call myself an evangelical. I guess that's fair enough. Um, more of a follower of the way of Christ. But the, the thing is, is, is in that group, uh, and, and we'll throw the, the Catholic movement, well, Catholics and Protestants, we'll throw them in together just for purposes of demonstration. And that's a huge group. I mean, it, it's inarguable that that group, that demographic is a huge group. Yet this God is dead movement has grown uh, exponentially. Why do you think? Why do you think our culture has embraced that? Now, now McDowell talked about you know the great machines and the automation and all these things. But do you have any ideas that you think? Well, you know, this is something that I think led to this. Well, you know, I, I think obviously there there are theological explanations of why people would believe we've moved away from God. Yeah, you know, my my big concern in the area that I've looked at is more of where you know when all of that has developed, you know. That has existed. There have been those phases. But once you move beyond that, it's the marketing of those ideas, the marketing of sec secular ideas to society and the, you know, inst installing those ideas 
you know, putting them in people's heads, convincing people, indoctrinating people, moving them in a direction away from God. And I think we've seen that expedite over the last 40 years. And so mm-hmm. that has been, and, and the reason is because of technology, because of the fact that, I mean, my gosh, your phone, your tablet, your computer, you have everything in front of you, and you have Hollywood, and you have media, streaming messages all the time. And, you know, those messages in the areas of Hollywood media and education, particularly universities, they tend to come from one side of the spectrum, one theological side, which is a side of secularism, and on the political side, more of a, of a liberal side. And so all of that to say, these ideas, which have existed obviously for a long time, and this has been a slow progression, really hit a fever pitch maybe in the 1960s and has just expedited since then. And so now we're seeing generations being raised up on these secular ideals, and we're seeing collectively, and I talk about this in Fault Line, you know, what we're seeing is numbers, proportions, statistics that show us the fallout of that, what it looks like when you have marketed to people that truth is relative. And you have people actually saying, 51% of millennials saying truth is relative. That's what they have been raised on. That's what they have been bred on. This notion that cultures make their own truth, that cultures can decide what is right for them, that the experience of morality and what is right is within a person and based on their personal experiences, not on a you know subset of values or a baseline of values, rather, that we would embrace in Christianity. So you know, you're seeing that erosion right now, and it's all sort of coming to a head, hence, hence the name Fault Line. <laughs> hmm. You use a term, uh, and folks, we're on with Billy Hallowell, writer of, author of Fault Line, really, really uh, pivotal book, I believe. Um, and you use a term called triangular dominance, triangular dominance. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means to you and how that plays out in society today? Sure. So essentially what we have happening is a paradigm in which families will take their kids to church. They will, you know, some families will at least, and that is a form of, of education. You have family education in the home. But when it comes to cultural education, where people learn, my theory has been, and, and this is not rocket science, I think most of us know this, we learn from media, we learn from Hollywood, we learn from you know, universities, education more broadly, but my focus was universities. And that is the triangle, those three areas. If you're not taking your kids to church, if you're not you know, putting in the effort to educate them, teach them, then the education is coming from those three areas. And when all three of them are coming from one particular ideology, one particular perspective, you end up with a very dire bias, one that impacts, if it's not kept in check, everything from free speech to religious freedom to the ways in which people learn. And so that's where we are right now. I think uh, there's, and I also have another term that, I, that I've used, which is progressive privilege, that there is a privilege for progressives and for secularists that exist in these areas. And that privilege has played itself out in a way that many of those people experiencing it don't even realize they have it. And so um, I would say, you know, obviously this is where we are and we have to make some decisions about how we're going to engage culturally to move forward and to help remedy some of those issues. Hmm. Wow. All right. So marriage, you really go into detail in this marriage uh, this marriage deal, uh, you talk about uh, Gallup, and one of the quotes you, you quote, uh, to, which I love how up-to-date your research is, 2015 report on morality in America, this liberalize, liberalization of attitudes toward moral issues is part of a complex set of factors affecting the social and cultural fabric of the United States, regardless of the factors causing the shifts. The trend toward a more liberal view on moral behaviors will certainly have implications for such fundamental social institutions as marriage, 
the environment in which children are raised and the economy. It seems like marriage now, you really can't talk about that very much. Well, and, and here's the thing. There's a lot happening with marriage. You have a, and there was just a report out, in fact, this week from the Brookings Institute, which is a, which is a progressive, you know, uh, research think tank. And what they were saying was that marriage is sort of on the decline across the globe. There, there are a lot of scenarios in which cohabitation is on the rise. There are lots of family arrangements that are not traditional and how marriage is actually the glue that kind of holds things together for kids. And this report was essentially backing that notion up. I think all of us know that. We know how important marriage is. This report sort of backed that up. So you have the general baseline problem of marriage sort of crumbling people, young people, especially millennials, getting married so much later in life. I think we have the highest percentage right now, and I talk about this in the book, of young people living with their parents still. And now, for the first time in like 130 years, um, more young people are living with their parents or on their own than are with, you know, even cohabitating, than, than are married or cohabitating. So we have got a lot of complex scenarios unfolding on that front. And there's obviously the battle over traditional versus gay marriage and the way people view that. I think at the structural level, obviously marriage itself um, is is obviously um, in, in a bit of a crisis. And so we've seen that we've seen that unfold. And the big issue, you know, and, and one thing the book doesn't do is it doesn't get into a theological battle about marriage um, or, or gay marriage or anything like that. It deals with the fallout of the inability that people have in our current culture to express their belief about traditional marriage and how that is tied in with all of these other elements we're talking about of bias, the, the labeling of people as bigots or you know, whatever other word you want to use simply because they hold a biblical definition of what they believe marriage is and how those people are, are essentially being silenced. So that is probably a 30,000 foot view of how marriage is tackled in the book, but that carries out obviously into how businesses operate you know, whether or not a wedding vendor is forced to provide a service they're uncomfortable with, which we've seen that happen now. And I believe all of these things are, are deeply tied together. Hmm. Barna says, uh, and you talked about this, uh, this is, this is not a surprise to me, but every time I read it, I'm crushed by it. Whatever's right for your life or works best for you is the only truth that you know. The, the relative, the relativizing, or I'm not sure if I'm mastering that word, but when you make truth relative, you decide what truth is. You decide what what is real. Uh, and an example would be uh, in press now. In the in the press now, it's just like in court when an attorney, usually a smarmy attorney, uh, defense attorney, will they will say something that they know is not admissible, and then uh, the the opposing attorney will jump to their feet and I object, and then the, the judge will say uh, sustained and jury will strike that, you know, you'll strike that, disregard that last statement. Well, once it's said, once the horse is out, you can't unring a bell, you know? And so once it's said, it's said. And so the press today, you know, they'll say something that influences. It's, it's almost like, um, it's propaganda. It's not almost like, it is propaganda because as, as you detail in this excellent book, fault line, uh, the press has been corrupted. And I mean, to such a great degree uh, because of all the feeder schools, the journalism schools, all these liberal places, they are, you know, they believe what they believe. 
And so, uh, but it doesn't end there. And, you know, whatever works for you is your truth. Um, but then 65% of Americans also agreed somewhat or strongly with the idea that every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. Now, before I brought you on, I was talking about Islam. Uh, you know, I traveled all over speaking on Islam and, and Sharia law and, and immigration jihad and all these other things, uh, Islam related. And it, it is interesting to me that the LGBT community and whatever other letters are being thrown in there, that that community has so embraced welcoming Muslims into this country. And they suddenly become these great Christians, these great people of faith that say, give me your, you know, they think this is in the Bible, give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. They actually think that's in the Bible. When you ask them, they'll tell you, well, that's a biblical thing. Welcome people into your community, you know, the downtrodden, the traveler, all of those things, they, they just brutalize scripture for their own uh, agenda. But the fact of the matter of it is, is when you bring up to that group, which is it, undoubtedly in the crosshairs, of, of Islam, when you tell them, hey, LGBT person, they like to throw you guys off the roof. Now, in regular American society, you're treated very well. You're, you're not thought of really any differently. You're not treated any differently. People give you respect. My goodness, if, if you're a basketball player or a football player and you come out as gay, you're going to be invited to the White House and heralded as a hero. So what is it that you know, you're, you're fighting here? Well, the AG, LGBT community, they are by tenant of the religious, political, and, and uh, military ideology of Islam, they are in the crosshairs, not to be rude or mean to, but to kill. Now, their answer usually, and you touch, you touch kind of on this in your book, their answer is, is it has to do with this quote, every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. The problem is what happens when that idea of morality declines to where it is now and uh i know we haven't well, barely scratched the, the surface when you start to and, and this is the problem with relativism right and i remember i was in a college lecture once when i was i had to have been 19 and i'm sitting in college and you know the per, it was a philosophy professor and he asked this question at what point is you know does the line end on relativism and the example that came up was 9 11 you know that he kept giving little examples and people said well of course i would have to accept that and when he got to 9-11, it became very controversial, obviously. And there were a few people in the room who wanted to stick to their guns and who said, well, I guess we'd have to accept that that's their worldview, um, mm -hmm. the hijackers. And it caused, a, it caused a lot of contention and debate, obviously. And those two ended up you know, obviously retracting that, saying we don't agree with that. We're just saying, you know, it, but if they were going to take the idea to the extreme, their point was that they would have to say that that was okay. And in reality you get to a point where you have to say, okay, that, that thing is not okay. And, and so if you're walking around saying, well, I believe, you know, that, you know, morality is totally relative and, and whatever culture wants to make whatever rules they want to make for their culture. And that's okay. At some point you have to say, it's not like nobody's going to walk around saying that what ISIS does is okay. It's horrific and disgusting and terrible. And, and, and so, you know, we have to draw a line. I think the question is, where does that line, where is that line drawn? And people have different ideas and theories about, uh, and depending on the issue, even it changes for people. But, but for Christians, the belief is that the Bible and the gospel um, are the benchmarks of, of behavior and of truth. And so for Christians, that benchmark does not move, should not move. And so that is where this discussion sort of falls. And we're not a theocracy, right? We don't live in a theocracy. And, you know, we live in a country that is based on these values. 
The problem is that many of these Christian values have been diminished, misrepresented, underrepresented in society and in culture and in media, Hollywood and universities. And so the learning environment becomes a skewed environment in which people are not given the right ideas, meaning they're not given all of the ideas. The marketplace is restricted um, and it's constricted and people are cut out of that marketplace. And that's the problem that I think we're up against culturally right now. And that's the problem that Fault Line tries to attack and, and get at and say, hey, let's get educated about what's going on in media. What do journalists believe, right? What percentage of journalists go to church weekly, which I have those stats in the book, what percentage of journalists have, are Democrats versus Republicans? And, and knowing that information helps us better assess what is going on in each arena. You, uh, you cite David Kinnaman, who is, a, 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 I think, an under-heralded researcher, uh, and he's the president of the Barna Group. And he offered up this idea that there's a new moral code, and, um, and, and that's really replacing Christianity as cultural moral norm. And, and I agree, absolutely. Because what happens now is the morality of self-fulfillment. And he talks about six attributes, and you cite this. First of all, folks, if, if you want to see a well-documented book, uh, well-annotated and footnoted, this is the book. If you're, the, if you're that type of reader that reads a book and says, okay, show me where this is, all you need to do is look in this book and then look in the back, and you're going to see really a, a, a real library of, of footnoting. And very current stuff. Uh, so he says, to begin, 91% of adults believe the best way to find oneself is to look within. 89% believe that people shouldn't criticize others' life choices. 86% say that one should pursue the things that he or she most desires in order to be fulfilled. 84% say the highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. 79% say that people can believe whatever they wish so long as it doesn't impact society. 69% say that any kind of sexual expression between two consenting, uh, consenting adults is acceptable. Now, going back to this in Kinnaman's uh, six attributes, the 91% of adults that, that figure the best way to find oneself is to look within. The, the, the problem with that is, uh, and I'm sure as you're researching for your book, and I'm sure as you travel around the country doing your book tour, um, you, you run into this and in all the other many, many things, quite a, quite a resume you have. And all these things, You've run into these people that say, look, you know, it's it's what's good for me and what makes me feel good about me. It's it's what helps me to feel better about me. And if I want to if I want to find me, I got to look inside me. I don't want any mirrors around me. I just want to look inside me sort of. I don't even know if it's metaphysically, but don't show me how I really am. Let me see how I think I am. Because then the very next one is 89% believe that people shouldn't criticize each other's life choices. Can you criticize your own life choice? Because if you're really going to look inside yourself, if you've lived any kind of life at all, you're going to find some things that you darn well should criticize about you. But this whole society is everybody gets a trophy. Nobody says, no, I don't think. I, in fact, I talk about this on Sunday's message, uh, folks, and you can get that on the Ninja Pastor under listen um, or under the blog, there's links there. It's all over the place. Um, I talked about this. People, they don't want to be told what they're doing is wrong. They don't want to be told that you're making a bad choice here um, because then that becomes what? Bullying. You know, while you're bullying me, you're, you're, you're pushing your choices and you're, look, those choices are for you, but not for me. Uh, so what if that thing that they're doing 
uh, is is harming America, but we just don't know it. The abortion crisis is is a great example. Uh, this immigration jihad, another great example, because he goes on to say, uh, and you cite this so well in your book. Well, hey, um, it doesn't hurt anybody. I, I'm for this this immigration refugee thing. I think everybody should. It's the good and moral and Christian thing to do. It doesn't impact society. So, well, it does impact society and. But but the relativism that is just rampant in this world is it, it is harming all of America, not just one little thing, one little part of it. Um, let's see here. I had something else marked here that I really want our audience to key in on. Folks, you got to buy this book. Now, is this available on Kindle as well? I know a huge part of my audience are electronic readers. Yes, it is. It is available on Kindle, and people can download it and uh, – I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's available on Kindle. I know it's um, it's on Amazon. Yes, so it is. And it may also be on the um, Nook. I was confusing the Kindle and the Nook in my head. But it may also be on the Nook over at Barnes & Noble as well. But it's definitely on Kindle. And there's digital. There's paper version. Uh, no audio version right now. Uh, we will see if that changes. But, but yeah, I mean, listen, this is a book that I am, am dying for people to read because I really believe we need to have information. We need to understand. You know, I mentioned some of those stats before. It's really easy to feel that there's a bias in the media, but what about looking into what actually is going on, looking at those stats, actually having the information, arming yourself with that data. Uh, so that's the goal of this, and I'm, and I'm really hopeful that once we do that, we can re-engage culture and we can enter into good storytelling and, and bringing that message back into these arenas that I think so many of us have retreated from. Well, uh, you bring up a good point. Bill Maher, you, uh, you, Bill Maher, you talk about him, um, and you say atheist, uh, atheist comedian Bill Maher, um, a man known for sometimes poking fun at faith and religion, is among those who have most blatantly articulated this faulty progressive argument. During the June 5th, 2015 broadcast of his HBO show, Real Time with Bill Maher, he railed against the notion that Christianity is being marginalized in America, quipping conservatives who constantly whine that Christianity is under attack from liberals have to explain why there are over 300,000 churches in the United States, but only 400 Whole Foods. Clearly, your side is winning. Then he goes on to say, Christians love to feel persecuted. It's part of their origin story and went on to cite that 70% figure as the centerpiece of his pushback against claims that liberals are denigrating Christianity. Now, one of the things I talk about a lot in my speeches and in my sermons and, and in my writing is that there are a lot of chicken Christians out there, uh, Christians who are just plain out and simple. Uh, they're, they're chickens. They're afraid, and that starts with the, the pulpits in America. There are a lot of pastors who are afraid to speak the truth. And, and they're afraid to step up and say, hold on, now, this isn't true. Uh, th this isn't so, and I've got to stand for what's right. And I, I happen to believe that the IRS tax code uh, of the, having to be a 501c3 church and, and make some sort of uh, side deal with the, with the government to give your, your people who attend your church and choose to contribute to what the mission is, well, listen, if you do this and you keep good records, we're going to give you back a little tiny percent of your money. Uh, or you, you just give them a slip and you can declare that off your taxes and we'll take it a little easier on you. So pastors in the pulpits, they, they've been afraid to speak out against that. And any number of other topics, whether it's Islam, they don't even understand Islam. They say they just parrot what other uh, what they hear elsewhere. Well, Islam is a peaceful religion. They've never read the Quran. They've never read the Umdad al-Salik. They've never done these things. And so 
they, they've not educated themselves based on fact rather than fiction. So Mar goes right at this because he's not afraid of Christians. Christians are a force uh, that has become a farce. Instead of uh, force multipliers where we all band together, we all find some way to have uh, enough level of agreement and unity within each other, uh, true Christians and true believers, that we stand together against these things. The lady out in, uh, I think it's Washington, the grandma, Baronet, Baroness or Baronet, she's losing her uh, florist uh, place, been in her family forever because she wouldn't do a gay wedding. We all know about the cake people. You know, they're, they're losing so much because they wouldn't do uh, a gay wedding, wouldn't make a, a wedding cake, and, and on and on and on. But let a Christian stand up and say, you know, hey, this isn't right. How we're being treated here isn't right. The fact that uh, 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 Lois Lerner of the IRMS, she, uh, she, she led the targeting of many, many good conservative and many of them also Christian people of faith groups. And the human cry from pastors and parishioners all across the country was like crickets. So... But Mayor goes on to say Christians love to feel persecuted. And I have to say, to some degree, I think he's right. I, I think Christians wear that as a badge. It's the martyrdom. Boy, you know, we just working for Jesus. We just trying to work for Jesus and bless God and what we ever have to go through. That's just what we have to go through. And, and they think that we're supposed to just lean back and take it. So what I thought was interesting, and I'm thinking all these things, and I don't know. Your book really hit chords with me because your very next paracope was decline of Christianity. And you asked the question, what's causing the decline in the number of Americans calling themselves Christians? Would you like to answer that for our audience? Rutro, I think we lost you. Can you hear me? Yep, can't hear you. Hmm. I see you there, but I, I'm not hearing you. So I don't know. Let's see here. I just don't see. I don't see it here. Well, anyway, the point is, oh, here we go. We lost him, and we're going to get him back. All right. Do we have you? Do we have you? We do. Sorry about that. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, hey technology, ain't it grand? So I don't know how much you, you heard, but I talked about your next paracope after that was decline of Christianity, which leads to the question, of course, what is causing the decline in the number of Americans calling themselves Christians? Would you mind answering that for our audience? Sure. I think, I think it's a really, really complicated you know, paradigm. Obviously, on one hand, we have the bias, and I think that that is what you know, drives a lot of this, is that yeah, you've got 8% of reporters going to church every week, as I mentioned earlier, um, compared to 40% of the public at the time that Pew asked that question back in 2007. You have people in Hollywood who are completely not in the same vein as people in the general American public. Um, and you have people at universities, you have professors, 60% of them are liberal versus you know 13% calling themselves conservatives. Those biases, they impact those fields, and those fields in turn impact how we view faith, how we view politics. And over time, what you end up having, and I think we see this with um, so many different issues, some of it's intentional, a lot of it's not intentional, but you have 
a, a marketplace that opens up too. And I think we have to talk about technology, right? Uh, you have a right. issue of other groups. They're able to evangelize, you know, quote unquote, evangelize as well now because there's an equal playing field. There's Twitter, there's Facebook, there are podcasts like this that people can launch. And so the marketplace of ideas opens a little bit more. And, and so that impacts the culture. But really, you have a lot of people who are nominal Christians who are benefiting from Christianity, um, and they were doing so because there were social benefits. Now that those social benefits are sort of escaping us, it becomes easier to say, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. What's the point of calling myself a Christian? I don't get anything uh, for being a Christian. And so some of it is that, um, and some of it is also raising up millennials and younger people. The big changes are happening with millennials. There's going to be major generational replacement where older people who are more Christian, more religious, they are going to die out. And the younger people who are less Christian, less religious, and yes, young people are always less um, religious, but, but today's young people are, you know, especially when you compare them to people from previous generations at this point in their life, they are way less um, religious. About 35 to 39 percent of millennials are nuns, not Catholic nuns, but people who do not embrace faith. They are atheists, agnostics, um, or just simply unaffiliated. And that is a huge percentage. It should scare us all, should make us all very nervous. Um, because that is going to be the generation that replaces the other generations before it. And so all of this, all of this is coalescing to create a situation that um, we will be more secular. We won't be 70% Christian. You know, the Pew Research Center uh, estimates that we'll be about, you know, maybe 60% Christian by 2050 as a country. So it will continue to go down. Uh, but yet, ironically, Christianity worldwide will actually grow, uh, which is sort of fascinating. So needless to say, that is, that's where we are. Hmm. Now, you talk about the outliers, uh, like uh, in, in television, uh, Duck Dynasty. Now, I was, those of you who've been listening for any period of time, you know, I was privileged to do a private uh, book signing for the Robertson family. And I was there on set and, and uh, there at their shop. and. It was a lot of fun. This is uh, this is several years ago, and uh, you meet these people in person. You realize these are good people. These are really, really top-notch people. But the more interestingly is the type of people that they are doesn't change. When in front of the camera, they uh, they are they're the same. There's no there's no difference. And they said, "Look, this is who we are. If you want to watch what we do, and that's great. You know, we're not married to the money." So if you take this show away, that's fine with us. That's why they, uh, Uncle Phil, uh, he, he was okay saying uh, what he wanted to say, what he believed is true from the Bible, which I agree with him. And then others, uh, Uncle Cy and, and all, you know, they, they got lambasted for taking a stand. And they said, well, you're, you're a hate-filled show. You're just a hate-filled person. You're, you're a, a flat earther, you know. And, and all of a sudden, these other organizations come out and they they start really trying to crush duck dynasty and the, and the people on duck dynasty and what's interesting to me is that christians self people who self-identify as christians they didn't immediately come loudly and aggressively to the aid of the folks on duck dynasty because then well i don't want to be seen as being homophobic or or something of that sort i just you know or xenophobic, or bigoted. I, I just, you know, I like the show, but, you know, they've made a lot of money, and I guess if they lose their show, that's no big deal. You probably shouldn't have said that. 
Um, I can't believe he would do an interview for those people. Well, there's a Christian who doesn't care about losing millions of dollars. He says, hey, the truth is the truth is the truth. And I'm not, uh, and, and Phil, if you could meet him, and you, you may have already met him, you couldn't meet a nicer man. You couldn't meet a more kind and, and giving and loving guy. You know, he really, really is a top-notch human being. And and yet he speaks what the Bible speaks, but that's out of favor now. It's it's not cool. It's not PC. So the point I'm getting at, and I, and I alluded to this before, but pastors in the pulpits and the chicken Christians, they're afraid to stand up not only for themselves, that's bad enough, but they're not unwilling to stand up for groups such as uh, the families that come out, you know, and say, look, we're, we're a family value. Look, we're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying we do everything right or think everything the right way, but this is what we believe. And this is what we stand for. I remember when the daughter uh, was on, uh, Sadie was on Dancing with the Stars. Um, and I used to own an executive protection firm. And one of my protectees was invited to be on that show. And uh, they asked me, well, what do you think? And, and I said, no, I wouldn't do it. They're going to they're gonna take an opportunity at every opportunity to poke fun at you. Uh, to present you in the worst light because these people hate you and everything you stand for. Well, when Sadie went on the show, most people don't know this. When Sadie went on the show, uh, Sadie, Sadie's father, Willie Robertson, met with the producers uh, together in a room, had it video recorded and, and it just, for, just so we're sure. You're not going to tell my daughter that she needs to wear sexier outfits. We're going to approve every costume. Every dance move, there's not going to be any grinding and, and dirty dancing done here. That's not what we stand for. Look, you guys do what you want to do, but this is what we stand for. And Sadie said, you know, absolutely. And since she's come out with a line of clothing that's uh, con for conservative or modest kids, it looks real great and it's awesome stuff. The point, the point is, is they tried every chance they could get to make this kid dance sexy and and at one point the judges said we need you to let go of of all the you know the propriety and all this we need you to to be sexy to let it go you've got it in there let it go well uh, and, and most people don't know this Willie immediately went in and met the very that very evening he and Corey went in mother and father of Sadie went in and met with the producers and said look this happens one more time. We're removing our daughter from this show. You you will not do it. And it was oddly enough, it was a it was a, one of the female judges that did this. And it was a it was a kept very hush hush. But the fact of the matter is, she almost left that show. Here's what people don't realize: as Christians, and to allude to your to your book, I don't know why Christians are such chickens. But we need to stop being mealy mouth, weak. Uh, paper mache that just got water poured on uh, flimsy people. We, we, we have the truth and we can do it in a way we can present the truth in a way that doesn't uh, demean everyone else, but it speaks the truth. Well, uh, how it eventually came out uh, was this is they looked at the ratings and the, you know, they can watch the ratings, you know, when people are tuning in uh as the show is going on, you know, they're, they're conducting all these service. And when she was on, more people tuned in than when several of the others, uh, more sexy or sensual uh, people were on, doing their dirty dancing and all that stuff with their tiny outfits. Now, what that says to me is that America has, 
we we have an appetite for this. Same way with R-rated movies, with every swear word and, and nakedness and all this stuff going on, uh, just kind of flinging it in your face. Why can't why can't some of these organizations make a G-rated movie or PG-rated movie that anybody in your family can see? Because those movies sell. What do you think, Billy? Why do you think we're like that? Why do, why are Christians so quiet? Well, listen, I think some of this is, is starting to change in Hollywood, right? We've got some movies that have come out. You, you've had Miracles from Heaven, Heaven is for Real, which were actually big studio films. But yeah, you know, look, there, there is, I think we have to watch how we talk about things, how we frame things, but not be afraid to frame them and talk about them. And I think Sadie, you know, going on that show, I know at the time um, I was with The Blaze and those stories, uh, we, we did a lot of stories on it. They did very well. People were interested to watch somebody stand by their values and i think the best way that we can live out what we say we believe is to live it out and we saw her do that and we saw her parents and her family do that and they've repeatedly done that they're great examples i actually mentioned them in the book um and, and there are so many others out there who are doing that too so i think there's a fear because people don't want to be labeled bigots or horrible people or you know evil racist you know all of these labels that we throw on people they don't want to be labeled with those things and so you know there there is a fear i do think we have a responsibility to speak the right way too when we do speak but and you can speak truth in a loving way that doesn't go places maybe we shouldn't and i think we've seen sadie and her and her family generally do that and, and it's really an encouraging thing but in terms of hollywood you know, we have to go out and buy the tickets to the shows, too. And we need to be I think we need to be a little easier on Christians in Hollywood. I know not everybody agrees with me. There's a lot of people who say, oh, God's not dead was a terrible movie or we don't like the quality. And my argument would be, look, Christians are trying to engage. They're trying to figure this out. It's going to take time. We have to have patience. That doesn't mean that should be an excuse for content that isn't good. But I think what we're really seeing is a march towards a better world, um, one in which, at least in Hollywood, uh, one in which we have some other options for families. We have PureFlix with their digital platform. Um, we have some of these companies, really, the Dove Channel uh, with, with a show called Frankly Farachi, which is a Christian talk show. Um, so we're seeing more of this start to happen and but we've got to step up and we've got to be present we have to do it and we've got to be willing to engage if we don't have these conversations if we don't tell people what the truth is uh then they're not going to know what it is right so there's so much here and there's so much work to be done and i think we need to make sure we do it the right way uh not retreating but also not sacrificing truth when we do engage I like that. I like that you came out and said that we don't support, uh, we're a little hard on uh, Christians in Hollywood. And I, and I think part of that, and I, and I hear you on that, I agree 100%. One of the other things that I think is behind that is that people don't want to, okay, so, so we get behind, we get behind a person and 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 we're all or none at first, you know what I'm saying? It's like such a big deal. But then what happens is out of nowhere, this person messes up. Why? Because we're human. We're human. We we Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. And and yeah, uh no, you, and that's another thing. That that is another you know, we, we tend to when somebody is, is espousing beliefs that aren't true and they're not accurate and they're damaging, that's one thing. When people make a mistake, that is another thing. And I do think 
you know, Christians, sometimes we, we have a bad reputation for how we handle things not going well, how we handle bad decisions, not bad consistent theology or behavior, but bad decisions that people might make. And look, we have to realize, too, that Christians in Hollywood, if you're going to engage in any of these areas, you've got to go in and you have to. I mean, I have pity for people like, you know, Justin Bieber, who grew up, you know, in, in a scenario where they had everything sort of handed to them as celebrities. And, they, and people like him are trying to figure it out now. Right. Trying to figure out, OK, what is this? What does my faith mean to me and how do I live that out? And you're seeing these mistakes and these errors happen on a major scale. But I think people like the Robertsons, they went in knowing they weren't going to change and they successfully engaged culture for years in a way that, you know, really few people have been able to do. And so we need to see more of that. You know, Candace Cameron Bure, who is a friend and who is very supportive of this book, you know, she, people like her who are kind of, they're, they're out there, they're doing it, you know, they're living in Hollywood, but they're not sacrificing who they are. And so we need people to do that in every area, universities, media, and, and, you know, and, and not just be Christians in, in Hollywood, right. Be, or be, Christian actresses, let's say, but but actors who are Christians, who can tell good stories, who can reach the masses beyond just preaching to the choir. I think it's fine to preach to the choir. I love that we have movies that do that, but we've got to do more. And, you know, I focus so much on entertainment because I think we've really just pulled out of entertainment entirely. And what we've seen, especially the last three years, is just a devolving scenario in which it becomes dangerous or even troubling to turn on the TV at 8 p.m. or after. I mean, and, and that mm -hmm. should not be that should not be the scenario that we're in. We should be able to have options out there that are safe for our families, but that means we have to create those options and have a presence. Oh, I love what you just said to finish that off. We have to create those options we as look if, if this is what we want then this is what we've got to support and uh candace cameron beret i happen to like her i didn't uh i didn't watch the the show that she came to prominence uh, maybe two or three times in my lifetime but i liked her afterwards and i didn't have that you know that cloud of well she's from such and such i don't even know what the name of the show is but from what she did afterwards i liked her but when she got a divorce oh my goodness christians fled from her and i thought to myself now wait a second now wait wait wait, wait, wait. They, we don't know what this woman went through we don't know what's on her you whether you whether you feel uh in some way to her you should go to her and say hey we condemn divorce and we don't like that you got a divorce well i'm sorry to tell you we didn't walk in her shoes we don't know and but so many Christians or self-identifying Christians says, oh, well, I used to really like her, but clearly she's and this is what Christians do. This is what conservatives. I talk about this uh, in my book. I talk about my speeches. Look, the left has one enemy, us. We have a million enemies. We have a we don't ever let it go. It's always somebody else we want to be mad at. We're always mad at somebody or something. We're always we, we don't stick together. And if you look right now uh, at President Trump, I've never seen uh, a, a more abused, uh, beat-up guy. I mean, just he, he's trying real hard, and everybody on either side is against him. But the ones that make me the maddest are the ones that are supposed to conservatives. And so, yes, we, we have to support. Christians have to support. Even though when you say I support, there's always disclaimers now. If uh, if I come out, like for instance, if you click on, um, uh, like uh, you know, I 
I'm just kind of new to Twitter, understanding what it is. Uh, but if you click on like the United States Navy or Navy Special Warfare or something of that sort, if you click on that, there's a little disclaimer there now that says, uh, yeah, just if just because you click on this doesn't mean that you uh, are endorsing us and we're not endorsing you. This is not a mutual endorsement. And it's so important for them to do that now it, it, on a flipping Twitter. Oh, we, we don't want to have any, no mistaking here. We don't want there to be any mistaking it. We don't endorse you. Well, it's not a mutual endorsement. And so people are so afraid and Christians are, are some of the worst for this. They don't want to endorse. I, I, let me give you an example. This show last man standing. Now that guy is an extraordinary, extraordinary talent. And he's clearly a conservative and he's taking so much heat. I mean, to tell you, so much heat for, um, you know, being so overt in his, and, and people think, well, he put a, he put a show together where it's all conservatives. Most of his, of his co-stars of the show are not conservative. They are, they are very, very liberal. The producers and, and, and the directors and these people behind it, they're not conservative, but in this case, they know where their bread is buttered and they liked him, but Christians there's many, uh, you know, a uh, couple different organizations did it. I don't want to say an expose. Yeah, it's kind of an expose. They wanted to take him down a few notches because he was overtly conservative. And so what they do, they come after him. They say, well, you know, he was in jail, right, for drugs and stuff. And, oh, yeah, yeah, you really support the guy, but, you know, he was in jail for drugs. And a lot of Christians backed off the show, and they said, boy, I really liked that until I found that out. I didn't know that. How'd they keep that secret? Well, they didn't keep it secret. It was very public, but it was a lot of years ago. But Christians, what we do is is we shoot our wounded. And and I think that, that your book, and, and you probably didn't set out to do this, but I think your book is teaching a lot of Christians, stop shooting your wounded. Stop shooting your wounded. This We're up against a tremendous, uh, terrible adversary who doesn't care about us. They don't care about our feelings and all that stuff. Uh, we have the truth. We have God on our side. We have, and I think big part of that is is that too many Christians don't know what Scripture says in the first place. Um, so, as you're traveling around uh, talking about your book and doing book signings, what are you finding from people? Like, what what is one of the most common things people say to you? They come up to you. You've got your sharpie in your hand, and you're about to sign their book. And they want to get a little picture with you, and you know, holding the book up, of course, I made that mistake a thousand times. I have so many famous people that have my book that I forgot to have them hold my book up in front of the picture. I'm just an idiot all the way to the bone. And so, so what's one of the, what's one of the things that you hear the most when people have purchased your book or they've read your book, some of the comments that you get? Um, I think, you know, people are surprised by the numbers and statistics that are available and that are out there, I think, because the concepts have been discussed so much. And we've, I mean, like at nauseum, we've talked about media bias. We know, we know we feel that it exists, but I think the idea that people can see and quantify what creates that bias and, and how we've kind of gotten where we are and just how bad it is in terms of 
you know, the, the disconnect between liberals and conservatives and Christians and non-Christians in each of the areas of media, Hollywood and college, you know, environments. I think people have been shocked by that. And, and also seeing the connection between that and culture and, and how since, you know, really 2002, culture has changed, particularly since then and, and the rise of technology. But, but being able to quantify that and not just hear people, you know, put sound bites out or quotes about it, but, but really read data. Because I, I am a big data person. I think that is important. And, you know, once you have five or six studies saying something and saying the same thing and they've been done the right way, you start to see, okay, there are some connections here. And we can actually use that information in our discussions. We're not just saying, oh, the media is terrible or Hollywood's terrible. We're able to say, look, this is what is going on. Here are the numbers to back that up. And it becomes really hard to dismiss um, a lot of this. And I think you know, I've done a lot of op-eds to promote this book and the media don't like to publish them or talk about them when it comes to media data because it really puts um, you know, them on the spot. And I would say you know, <laughs> special props out to Mediaite because they have published some of them as a media website. And I know that the last thing that outlets want to do is publish something that's critical of them, especially in the age of Trump, feeling as though they're under fire from him and, and all that. So. Anyway, I have to run here in just a couple minutes for another um, interview, but I uh, listen, I appreciate you having me on to talk about this. And, and I really you know, I want people to to get themselves, even if they don't read fault line, to really get themselves educated on what's at the root cause of this and what the impact of these cultural changes have been on our society and on our young people in particular. Yeah, be aware. Pay attention and be aware. Well, we appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun to have you. Uh, there's so much more in this book, folks. You've absolutely got to read it. Very, very powerful book. And uh, we're we're just pleased that you were able to come on. And we wish you the very best with the book. If we can help you in any way, absolutely give us a shout. And uh, again, folks, you can get a link directly to the book on my website, theninjapastor.com. It's right there. Click on it. Facebook, same thing. Twitter. You name it, we're covering it. Hey, listen, thank you, Billy, for coming on. We appreciate you, and uh, God bless you and your endeavors. Thanks a lot. Well, so there you have it, folks. This is this is the bottom line. Um, is you know, here's a guy who's not afraid to step up and say, "Hey, you know, this is reality. This is the truth, and uh, we're we're going to we're going to have to." Um, we're going to have to start proclaiming the truth. We have been too quiet. We've been too easygoing. We've been too, I don't even know, you know, we, we've been too much. We've been chickens because we're afraid of being called every, every name uh, under the sun. And it's just terrible. By the way, I just received word that, um, that Andy will not be on. He is uh, going to jump out of an airplane and we haven't figured out a way that he can do the interview and do a television commercial at the same time. So we are going to, uh, we're going to book him for in two weeks. So he'll be back. He's going to be out of the country for a little while and then he'll be back. And uh, so we will, we will have him and it's going to be kind of cool. What we're going to talk about when he comes on is really, really a cool thing. And that is this. Um, he wrote two articles that really got to me. And uh, I have to say, pretty powerful. Uh, they, they really did get to me. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know how much I want to talk about it without him on. But the one article, it really uh, had a lot to do with regret. You know, as, and, 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 he, and he's very, um, 
I have to say the guy, the guy really, uh, he, he's not unafraid to call himself out to say, man, I didn't do well on that one. That was not my best. That was not my best day. I did not do well. I am disappointed in me. Um, and, and I, and I like that about him actually. Um, you know, and, and so that being said, uh, it's a tough article. It's a tough article to read. He, he really reveals himself in the article, some, some major stuff that you, that I'll just tell you in advance. And the blog he writes is called confession, confessions of an idiot, which, you know, very self-deprecating and, and believe you me, those who, of you who heard the interview uh, last time he was on, uh, you know, that he clearly is not an idiot. Those, those of you who, you know, he's, he's clearly not an idiot. Let's just, let's just put it that way. And, um, I want to say that, uh, we know when we've done the wrong thing. We, we know when there's something for us to regret. We know that. We do. And, and, and we struggle with it. And uh, I, I, well, I'll just say, you know, myself personally, I've made some really, <laughs> really car crash choices in my lifetime. And, and I could, I can't put it off on somebody else and say, well, you know, they did this or they did that. Uh, and that caused me to do this or that. And I, there have been times where I've gotten something totally wrong. I thought something was true, but it wasn't. I thought something was the case, but it wasn't. Yeah, I have. And, that, and all the evidence pointed to it and I acted upon that and boy, did I mess up. Uh, or I, I was going one direction and you know how you get leaning. You ever see these videos and I don't like videos that, that, poke fun at people. Uh, but you ever see these videos where people fall, uh, they get going and they're running. Maybe they're trying to run and then they fall because they're leaning too far over. Their feet can't keep up and people laugh at that and they could get shared 9 million times. And, and I think, um, I, I don't care for that. I don't care for it. Uh, but at the same time, you, sometimes in our decision-making, we do that. We get leaning too far one direction and we think something is true. And then our minds just tell us, nope, this is what we're going to do. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm all in, as the, uh, the gambling term says. And so I don't know about you. I don't know if you're the type of person that has made those kind of mistakes where you fell. You fell on your face. Uh, sometimes you just get a little skinned nose and some skinned elbows and knees. And sometimes you break your face. Sometimes you break your face. You just flat out break your face. You know, you break some teeth. It's it's not a small thing anymore. Maybe you get a little bit of a little bit of a head injury from it, or a lot of a head injury. It, it's just a bad fall. You've made an enormous mistake. You chose poorly. You acted poorly, and you fell. I talked about this with Billy and, and, uh, and, and I'll say that I'll say it again. Look, you know, Christians, people of faith, you, you've got to stop being so hard on each other. I don't mean be so permissive that we don't hold each other accountable. We don't say, Hey, come on. But, but the time to do that is before it's to say, Hey, man, you're, you're leaning too far. You know, your feet can't keep up. Don't do it. Don't keep going. Hey, how about I run alongside you? 
help slow you down some, keep you from falling. That's what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. We don't do it. No, we don't. What we do is we step back and we, you know, and we gather around a circular firing squad, right? We shoot them down. I call them religious. I have a trademarked, uh, copyrighted word called religious Rottweiler. And so we, we as religious Rottweilers stand on the porch of the church. And I think all churches should have a porch, by the way. We stand on the porch of the church and we watch people that go by and they say, well, they don't look Christian. Well, they don't look Christian. Boy, that person said a word that isn't Christian. We do it over and we do it over and we do it over and over again. You know, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in an independent Baptist, you know, hardcore, rough, man, rough. I mean, they were, they were hardcore, hardcore. And, and if your hair wasn't right or, you know, you didn't have a belt on or, I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, it was, it was really kind of crazy. No offense to those people. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever known who, who walk the walk and, and they talk to talk, but they walk the walk. This is what they believe, and that's how they do. But I'm, I'm going to say to you, and I mean this, I'm, I'm, I mean it with every fiber of my being. Christians got to stop being so hard on each other. I talked about Candace Cameron Bure. She's friends with, uh, with Billy, and, and she, if you're not familiar, I mean, she took so much heat. She took so much heat. And this is why a lot of people are people of faith. Now, uh, you guys know I was supposed to protect Tim Tebow. Four days uh, after my crash, I was supposed to protect him and New Gingrich. And uh, I was real excited about it because Tim Tebow, is, is he's a lot younger than me, but he's one of my heroes. That guy, that guy stands in front of so many slings and arrows. He doesn't do it. He's not haughty at all. He's, he's extremely, uh, he's extremely uh, humble, humble guy. He just does what he thinks is right in, in God's eyes. He doesn't make fun of people. He's not, you, you've never heard him say a, an ill word about anybody to anybody. He just worked hard, and but he had everybody against him. He had, you know, ESPN and ABC, of course, very, very liberal organization. They hated his guts. And the coaches took a lot of pressure. Now we're learning now. A lot of this stuff is coming out. Uh, they don't want to see him on television. And so you got a guy like Robert Griffin III now. RG3, you know, let's face it, him, he, they said about him, you know, he's made of China. He's, he's just, he's too easily broken. He's too easily hurt. You dude, you got to be stronger than that. You got to be more resilient. Well, he's a, he's a, a, a conservative Christian. He's conservative politically and he's conservative a, as a Christian. But boy, did he get beat on? Not just, not just by le the left, by Christians. I'm just here to tell you, folks, and you know, that's why they don't come out. That's why it doesn't seem like there are more in Hollywood. I'm part of a, a think tank, and my buddy Jerry from Pennsylvania is in it with me, and I'm part of a think tank of people who are nationally known people in a typically liberal industry, liberal arena. And so these people, I, I obviously we don't reveal who's in it, except for Jerry. Obviously, he 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 could care less uh, about being outed. And he and you know, but he can tell you some of these people in here are are top level people. That if you watch television shows or movies or anything, you're going to see their name in the credits. And it's a privilege to be part of it with them. 
the fact of the matter is, is they say, you know, you come out as a Christian or as a conservative, you're done. You're done in Hollywood. You're done in Broadway. You're done uh, on Broadway. You're done in New York. You're, you are done in any of these places. You're just finished. You're finished. Why? You're finished not only because Hollyweird and, you know, Broadway is going to come out so hardcore against you. There's no army on the other side. There's no army of believers who say, hey, you're not going to pick on our guy. You're not going to pick on our girl. Yeah, they fall down and we help them up. You're going to be fair and right. And we're going to come to the movie. If they're in this movie, we're coming. We're going to pay our ticket price. We're going to support what they do. But we don't. We don't. We're very quiet. We're very meek. Chicken Christians. Christian chickens. Part of why I wrote my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, is because I wanted to wake America up. Wake up, America. Wake up. My lands, you've got to stop being chicken about everything. Stop being chicken about everything. My goodness, folks. We are we are a child of the most high. We we have been rescued. We've been rescued. Why in the world are we so quiet? Why in the world are we so afraid to, to step up and stand up and say, oh no, you don't. Oh no, you don't. You know, we're, we're, we're linked together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Why in the world don't we stand together? Look, if we can't, if we can't stand up and say, hey, you know what? I'm with him. I'm with her. then what are we? Why are we so afraid? Somebody tell me, why are we so flipping afraid? Seems to me we are. It seems to me we are. I, th I think it's time in America we, we ask ourselves, why are we, what are we such chickens about? Why in the world are we so afraid to stand up and step up for people who deserve for us to get in the fight with them? Listen, it's so expensive to make a good movie. It's so expensive. It's a shame that it's so expensive. It is. To me, it's embarrassing. That we can't get enough Christians together to say, hey, you know what? We're not going to stand silently. You know, uh, I'm getting a lot of messages right now from people talking about, did you see what Westboro Baptist Church is doing? Let me say this, folks. Let me say this. 
and, and, and this is as plain as I can put it. They're not a church. Westboro Baptist Church, they filed, this is why I don't like 501c3. They filed as a 501c3 as a church. The, re, the reality is, is they're the Phelps family. They're a bunch of lawyers. They all went to law school. They're hate-filled, terrible people. They don't represent God or the Bible at all. They're idiots. And what they do is they go to these places uh, and they, they hold up their awful signs and they wait for somebody to hit them or bump them or, you know, threaten them. And then they sue them and they win. This is how they, they're very wealthy people. They say, well, they're weird people. They're weird Christians. And then they stand for Christians because they get the, on the news. How many Christians standing there protecting uh, people's right, uh, like uh, Milo or Milo Yiannopoulos, or the other uh, guy, older guy, who got hurt real bad by these people, these college folks, didn't want to, and they're not really college folks, but some of them are, but most of them are paid protesters and rioters. Uh, nobody, where is that guy now? He got rushed to the hospital. Where is he? Hurt seriously. Where's the hue and cry? Where are the Christians uh, creating a ring around this older gentleman who was just, he was invited to speak. He went to speak. Where are they? Where are the Christians that are supposed to be tough? You say, well, they'll call us bad names. Who cares if they'll call you bad names? Seriously, who cares? Who cares if they call you bad names? What difference does it make? Well, we don't want to be branded as a, you know, racist or a homophobe or as a bigot or a xenophobe or whatever else. Seriously, who cares? What difference does it make? God said, because you're with me, you're going to be persecuted. No, they hated me first. They're going to hate you. If they don't even hate you a little bit, because you, you've been so silent and standing for him, you've not stood up. You've not stood up for his soldiers, the people that go into the belly of the beast, Hollywood, and say, hey, you know, we need to make good films that are that are good for families that promote real family values we're not getting in there and bashing the lgbt community you know we're not making a rapist statement here we're not you know we're not we're not saying you know rape is good and racism is good and uh, being mean to to people of different sexual orientation is good. We're not saying any of those things. We're just saying, hey, this is our family. This is our, it, look, because we promote a husband and a wife and children and Bible-believing folks, that does not mean, it doesn't mean that somehow or another we're being mean to that group. We're, we're a hate group. We let these people say that with relative impunity. We just go, hmm. It's just best not to get into the arena. It's just best. So we're silent. And so the only sound you hear, the only soldiers on the ground, are the ultra-leftists. And they hate you, and they hate everything you stand for. And the quieter you are, now, am I saying we're going to go there and we're going to get in their face and scream and yell and try to outscream them? No, but let's be strategic. What if there were, they had 150 protesters. What if we had 1,000 people there ringing where these conservatives go? What if? 
What if we did? You think it'd be different? I think it would be. I do. I think it'd be different. I think there's only so much that they can say. There's only so much that they can do. A million happy warriors. Why in the world are we quiet about it? There are a lot of people out there that do understand immigration jihad, a lot of Christians, but they don't want to speak out against it. They don't want to be viewed as being, uh, and I don't know why people say this, Islam is not a race. It's a religious, political, and military ideology. It is all three. And no, there is no peaceful Islam. Look, if you're a peaceful Muslim, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it according to your own document, your Quran and your Umdat al-Salik. Just not. Hey, folks, before I forget about it, uh, thelogox.com, thelogox.com. Pretty darn cool thing, a three-in-one tool. If you do any wood cutting at all, this you got to have this tool. I wish I had it when I was a kid. You know, remember I told you the story that I grew up, that's how we heated our house. We didn't have any other kind of heat, wood. If you didn't find it, cut it, split it, Haul it, stack it, load it into the thing, keep it lit. You weren't warm. And winter in the Northeast, not fun when you don't have heat. This three-in-one tool would have saved my back, I'm telling you. I wish like anything I'd have this tool. I really do. All veteran-owned, thelogox.com. You go to thelogox.com, and in the checkout, if you buy the three-in-one tool, which is inexpensive to start with, they're going to give you a $25 discount just for putting in The Ninja Pastor in the checkout coupon. That's crazy. But they wanted to do that. And I, I wanted to do do that for you guys. You know, for any of you people out there, we have people all over the world that listen to the show and you cut wood, you know. It's I wish I'd have had it. The other thing we want to mention, uh I talked about a tool uh last week called the Hilo LX. Or last week, a week before, I think it was. Um there's a two minute video on it. I bought one on the air. A lot of people say, did you really buy one on the air? You know, the last part of the show, we talked about it with uh, one of the guys, the main people in this, uh, with this company and, and he's in Australia. And I have to tell you, it's pretty darn cool. It was pretty darn cool. Um, and I looked it over and I said, you know what? I got to have me one of these, but some of you, well, a lot of you, a lot of those, and I'm sorry for not getting into your emails. I try to go through them. People tell me there's a filter you can do and, I don't know how to do any of it. Um, what I need is a good producer and, and all that stuff, but we don't have money. We do all this kind of on our own. We have some very, very nice people who have given given uh, periodically, and it's awesome, and our Kehala tries to help us. And, and uh, But the fact of the matter is it's expensive to do all this stuff. I never realized it was. It's, it is, I was talking to my, my new friend, Coach Prasic, today of PJNet, hashtag PJNet, and, um, you know, we were, we were kind of commiserating that, it's tough, man. You know, you're trying to do good things and, and I just don't have, you know, I'm disabled. I don't have, I don't have the money to do it like I want to do it. But the fact of the matter is this thing was on there and I thought, you know what? I'm a guy with some major health problems. That makes sense to me. You know, this thing makes sense. It's a two minute video. Uh, and it's just HTTP backslash backslash say Hilo, uh, S A Y H E L O dot. Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T-E.com 
backslash Dr. Sean, D-R-S-H-A-W-N. There's a two-minute video there. I also posted it on the um, on the um, Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And so shoot me a note or a, a, one of those private messages, and I'll send it to you if you didn't catch that. And also, patriotjournalist.com. That's a, a great place to go. Uh, I'm going to be on that, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. As soon as I can get better from this, I'm telling you, this thing is kicking my rear. Can't breathe. Uh, my brain is totally foggy and a massive pounding headache. And, uh, you know, I don't like to take medicine. So, but anyway, the point of it is, is this, this tool is an amazing tool and I don't think anybody should be without it. I, I really do. Then the last thing is, is second call defense. You guys know how big a fan I am. Uh, second call defense.org. You go there or just go to the ninja pastor.com, the ninja pastor, go down to the bottom. You'll see the big old red banner. Uh, the, um, it's, it's endorsed by the NRA business Alliance and NRA. And you click on that, that'll automate the ticket there. There's some free videos for you to watch. If you own a gun, I'm telling you, don't be without it. I'm telling you, don't be without it. And if Lord forbid, if you have a permit to carry, please get this. It's super cheap. It's super cheap. And for what you get is crazy. Um, if you're the type of person that says, look, I don't want to do it on the internet. Write this number down, 20630, 20630. Why is it important to do it through my website or through calling in and giving that number? Because you're going to get a month free. You're going to get a month free. They'll send you back a check for what you paid for your first month. And the way you join by phone is 877-502-3300. I'm telling you, they'll take everything you have away from you. They don't care. They hate guns. And make no mistake, you think because President Trump is in office that somehow or another, uh, all is well, and look how hard they're fighting him. Seriously, look how hard they're fighting him. They're beating this guy to death, man. Uh, and you, you've heard about all these guys. Now, I have guys, buddies of mine, that are uh, they are on his detail. And also, uh, one of my buddies is on the, um, he is on the, the, uh, detail for Melania. And yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible duty right there. Right. And they always get made fun of. So I have some people sending me a message. They want to know, well, what is, what does it do? What exactly does it do? This, this Hilo LX. Now I have to tell you, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, let me see if you've heard of these, there's these things called Fitbit. There's all kinds of different ones of those. There's Samsung Gear. There's Microsoft Band. There's Garmin Forerunner. Um, oh, you even have the Apple Watch, even. And you know they they do some things and they do them okay. But this is this is an actual medical device. This is a wearable medical device. And what sold me on this, you guys that were listening, I bought this thing on the air. I bought it right on the air. I went right online and bought it on the air. Here's what it does. It, of course, it does all the other stuff, uh, but much more accurately. Uh, heart rate, step counter, calories, distance covered, uh, but sleep quality. Now, I only sleep about an hour or two at a time, then I'm up for a long time, then I can drift back to sleep when I get exhausted. And that's part of the reason why I'm in such trouble is because I can't heal. My body can't heal. So I'm running off of adrenaline all the time. Um, and it's Somebody just asked me, is it iPhone compatible? Yes, I use an iPhone, and, and it's completely compatible with iPhones or Android. There's an app that comes with it. Now, none of these others that I mentioned before will do an ECG or an EKG. This will do it right on your wrist. 
I know, I know. It's I've got people messaging the heck out of me right now. It does it. I've watched it do it. You can set alerts and alarms where somebody all across, if you've got somebody partnering with you, say, hey, man, I'm looking after you. You can look after me. They don't have to have one of these, by the way. All they have to do is have a phone that takes text messages. And this guy, Andy Leischer, last week, I think the week before last week, uh, he set up an alert on his, he knew to set the alert level at a low enough blood pressure where he knew as he moved around a lot, he was going to set it off. What's it do? It sends me a message. Tells me, say, hey, your buddy is over his blood pressure limit. So if you have somebody looking after you, I have a brain injury. I forget where I am. It'll do that. Now, it has this other thing called a mood sensor. Now, that sounds like a mood ring. It's not that. It's very technical, um, but it it can help you because if you, I don't know my moods are changing until they're so far in, I might have made a bunch of people mad or or people feeling sorry for me because they think I'm sad or whatever, and and that can help head off those things. You can manage your moods. Um, Fatigue sensor. Now, that's very important for me. Because you have to tell me to take a nap. Now, my doctors, they all tell me, man, you got to take a nap during the day. I hate taking a nap. I do. I hate it. But this thing goes off and says, hey, man, you're fatigued. You might not be safe to drive right now. Um, you can, with this device, remote monitor monitor other people's vitals. Now, it has this thing in it called germanium. It's a type of a material that is supposed to have many, many benefits, and it's being proven left and right. But the other thing I really like about it Two, two features that I like about it, especially for kids or for your loved ones, uh, maybe an elderly person, um, is, uh, and I think with Alzheimer's, this is a big thing, panic button and emergency SOS, GPS location. We can find you within a few feet. You press that button, boom, we're going to find you because you're going to show up on an active map. Checks your body temperature. Now, uh, that's coming. Blood oxygen, body temperature, and blood sugar. And mosquito shield. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I can't wait because I'm out in the woods all the time, out in wilderness taking pictures, blood alcohol levels, all that stuff. Now, people are asking me, how's it compare in price? Well, uh, it is more initially, $319, but I have to tell you, it does. Look, the Apple Watch, I think it's $350, and it doesn't do a quarter, a sixth of what this thing does. For me personally, it just makes sense. And and maybe you're not me. I get it. You don't have to be me. Uh, but I just think with this life sensing technology, I, uh, I, for me personally, I just have to say it, it really appealed to me. It really appealed to me. So all that. And thank you, Lynn, for, uh, for suggesting that and several others. My phone is kind of blowing up right now. Well, look, folks, I've, I've told you that I'm not feeling well and boy, I'm not. And, uh, and, uh, so pray for me, if you will, I, n- I hardly ever ask for prayers for myself, pray for my buddy, Jerry and pray for Carson, my buddy, Chris, and for Eric, uh, so many others who are in the fight. And you know what? There's a lot of people out there in the fight of their lives. They are, they're really struggling and nobody knows it. Uh, there's a bridge near my house today. Uh, someone, uh, I saw a lot of helicopters and, and, you know, heard sirens and everything rushing that way. And doggone if somebody didn't kill themselves off that bridge again. And it, it breaks my heart, you know, and we lack hope. But we we do, according to First Kepha or Peter uh, 1, 3 through 9, we have a living hope in a dying world. And First uh, you know, Thessalonians 4, 13, it says, We sorrow not even 
as others which have no hope. And But if they don't understand that, if, if not enough people understand what that's about, um, in First Peter 1, 3, it even it even says this way, God, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a lively hope. And the world, the world uses hope in an entirely different way than Scripture uses it. When we use the word hope, it's in the sense of wishing for something, right? In the natural, we wish for something. Like, I wish I wasn't sick right now, but I am. But I am. I wish I wasn't sick right now, but but I am. But I, I hope I get better, you know. But the reality of it is, look, man, that's the world's sense of hope, wishing. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's really talking about a confident expectation of reality. Why? Why is it so different? Well, the reason why Bible hope is a confident expectation, reality is, it, Bible hope is based in God. Romans 15, 13, may God, the source of hope, fill you completely with joy and shalom as you continue trusting so that you, so that by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with hope. Shaul, or the Apostle Paul, he calls God the God of hope. Look, I, I just want you to understand, this Sunday, if I don't die before then, this Sunday I'm going to be speaking at our Kehala, if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, you need to come join us. Come early. Come at five. We'll feed you some of the best food, I'm telling you. Some of the best food. These folks don't play. And these are Pennsylvania Dutch. These are We have a, a doctor that comes. Uh, uh, Steve, her husband, plays the violin for us or fiddle when we can talk him into it. Play some bluegrass, play some hymns. It's really neat. I mean, it's really, really neat to have that. And we sing. We have hymn books, a whole deal. And, and uh, but Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie, she brings stuff out of her garden. And that's the kind of stuff we eat. And we eat some good stuff too. Angie and Sean and Darren and Karen and Miss Gloria and Miss Charlotte. I mean, it's all good food. I'm telling you right now, we don't play. We don't play. We we eat good food up in there. So that's from 5 to 5.30. And if you're a guest coming from New Jersey, we have people coming from D.C. You know, you, just come on and enjoy. Don't worry about bringing something, keeping it hot. Don't worry about that. We come and we'll feed you. And then at 5.30, as you know, those who listen to the show, last week we had 78,000 people, several from Odessa, uh, Russia, you know, the whole bit. All over. I mean, we've got a growing Australian audience. I, I, I can't even figure it out. It's I don't know how it works. Coach will teach me all that. I'm just saying, this is what I'm going to preach on, a living hope and a dying world. So the broadcast will start at 530. And I'm going to tell you, this is a message for today. This is a mess. This is a timely message. A time, I wish I could have talked to that person. I've talked people out of killing themselves. I've had a few people that I've negotiated with to try to get them to come down or not shoot themselves that ended up shooting themselves. Um, but I have to say, uh, more often than not, you know, when those people get to that place, man, the gun is in hand, they, they're about to take the pills or they're about to cut their wrist or they're about to jump off that building or bridge. They're in a bad way. They're in a bad way. And look, I, I well, don't want to say I've ever been at the point of suicide, but I'll tell you, I've, I've been at the place where I felt there was no hope. I've been there, man. In the natural, I knew there was no hope. And the father just, you know, at the 11th hour, you know, right that last minute, he reached out and said, no, 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 you're my child. Don't you know how important you are? Don't you know? Don't you know what I've said about you? Don't you, don't you know what I've given for you? And so Sunday, I, I want you to join us, a living hope in a dying world. 
And um, I want you to join us. I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be worth hearing. I promise you that. If I'm not dead, I'll be giving it my all because I'm, I'm, I'm always excited to bring the word in a relevant way. But I'm telling you, this one, I can't wait. I wish tomorrow was Sunday, although I probably won't even be able to talk by tonight. So all that said to say this, look, join us. If you, if you have the means to support what we do and you believe in what we do, uh, I'm always getting yelled about this. Buy my book. It's everywhere. Go to the Ninja Pastor and go to the book and you can click on it, it'll take you right to where to buy it. And and if you if you're so inclined, you believe in what we do and you're able, uh, click on the donate button. It's very safe. It's it's PayPal and it's super encrypted and all that stuff. And I don't I don't ever see any financial information at all. So just so you know. So listen, folks. I'm sorry to pop smoke uh, before the end, but I literally cannot talk anymore. And uh, I really appreciate all of you for what you do and for encouraging me. I appreciate all the notes. Um, I love getting your notes, just so you know. I love getting your messages, your notes. I love it when you retweet the stuff I tweet at the Ninja Pastor. I love it when you share, like and share. Uh, the stuff I put on uh, the Facebook and listen, every single like that goes over, many of you are on the collision of faith and politics page and my personal page. Uh, but go to facebook.com. If you're a Facebook person, facebook.com backslash the ninja pastor, click on like, click on follow. It'd be awesome. If you want to follow this show on blog talk radio, we'd love to have that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for all your encouraging messages last week. I was so run down and uh, this dear lady, um, I told you there's a group from Belgium, from Belgium, the country of Belgium, that they listen, they listen to my church service every week. And I don't think they listen to the Wednesday show, uh, but, but they always talk about the, the Sunday show. And, and they always go on and on about how blessed they are to listen. Thank you for doing it. Don't give up on it. I know it can be discouraging. Uh, just don't quit. And that lifts me up. I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I'm a live audience speaker. I like speaking to a live audience, people I can see. I love to see the feedback. That gives me energy, helps make me strong and, and lift me up because I've been banged up pretty bad. And, and um, you know, when I see you cheering, uh, that's an awesome thing. Look, thank you for joining me. I'm sorry to cut out early. God bless you. I'll give you nine extra minutes the next time. But uh, just thank you for all you do. God bless you. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www. DrSeanGreener.com In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.